Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. Uh, <laughs> did you enjoy that? The silence. I didn't like the silence. No. Uh, the, well, we're putting. I mean, we're, we're putting our weight because the thing is. Uh, we often overrun our show, don't we? We, <laughs> we, do. we normally start playing the song ten seconds before um, uh, before the end of the show, and that one that had ten seconds of emptiness, yeah. and that was very uh, introspective, existential. It was, but it's also like, what's the what's the correct thing to do? In this? <laughs> we broadcast live to the nation, <laughs> and the previous show keep, finishes keep ten seconds before. Uh, before our one starts, do we do we start, do we early? start early? We can't start early. We've got fans that depend on us. Yeah, and they turn on at dead on midday. They're sat by their on switch on their um, radios, their wirelesses. They're on, <laughs> and um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're winding up the radio yeah. to get the end. Uh, and they've only managed to get there in time by winding up the car to get here. And now they've uh, they've got the radio, the wireless, turned it on, and there there we are. It's already started. Can't believe it, we've missed 10 seconds we've of gold. We've missed 10 seconds of gold. <laughs> um, sure, sure, I imagine that there is some sort of, uh, uh, what, what you get, some sort of uh, fan club verse out there where... Uh, the extended universe. Yeah, but there's a parallel universe <laughs> where people are tuning in. Um, yeah. mm, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, there's a world out there where, where this is massively popular. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 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 my name's Nick Helm. My name's Nathaniel Metcalf. And you're listening to Nick and Nats. Nathaniel Metcalf. Fan Club. Uh, first rule of Fan Club is tell your friends about Fan Club. Why not? Why not? Why not? Just do it if you want. If you want. And even if you don't want, do it. Just do it. Come on. And <laughs> do it. Come on. Second, Second rule of Fan Club is please. Actually, please do. <laughs> please do. For tell, your, tell your friends. Uh, Tell your friends about fan club. Um, so, um, how, how have you been this week? <laughs> I have been. I've been all right, actually. Yeah, yeah. You've had a hard time. You've had your phone stolen. I had my phone stolen last Sunday night. Was that when I saw you? So, uh, oh, yeah. So, um, I am slightly, uh, well, not Angry sl- at me. No, I'm not angry <laughs> at you. Next, a couple of things happened. When I was seeing you, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, actually culminated in uh, a disastrous, <laughs> a disastrous event, which was um, <clears throat> what did we go and see? We went to see Uncut Gems, Uncut Gems, at the Prince Charles Cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we'll, I, we'll talk about that in a minute. And we after after the after the film, uh, we went for a drink, and I hadn't eaten. Oh, you hadn't eaten all day, And I said, you know, I hadn't eaten all day. And I said, hey, do you want to go and get something to eat? And you said, well, you're not really hungry. And I was just like, do you know what? I can wait till I get home. So, um, uh, and then um, I get really overwhelmed and I, I have horrific anxiety whenever I leave the flat. And at the beginning of this year, uh, it was a little bit of a write-off where I hadn't left my flat in, um, I think we went to see Little Women, Mm-hmm. On the Thursday, me and you. I mm-hmm. think it was on the second. Yeah. And then I didn't leave my flat again, uh, so I went home on Thursday, uh, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, Tuesday I went to the gym, but that's in my building. And then Wednesday was the first time I left my flat, and I hadn't talked to anyone. Right, mate. Um, the difference between your life and Craig David's. It was yeah. 
Uh, but it was very, yeah, I was having a bit of a difficult time at the beginning of the year and I hadn't talked to anyone and I was just watching loads and loads of films and then my phone would ring and I'd look at the phone and I'd be like, I, I, I can't, I don't actually have the energy <laughs> to uh, talk to, to, and I hadn't spoken out loud in a long time, other than to say thank you to, to, to the delivery man, right? And um, yeah, and I just sort of like, and it got to a point where I couldn't actually leave my flat and I was feeling very... Um, shaky and uh, down. At first it was quite nice because it was quite a stressful Christmas but um, and I was ill all over Christmas and so it was quite nice to have that sort of like window just before um, Starting again. Yeah. And then um, uh, yeah and then the, the, that slowly that, that quickly uh, disappeared into um, uh, a very <laughs> um, existential uh, panic just me and my flat and then I cut my own hair and all that other stuff and then, <laughs> and then I eventually good job to be fair though um, it looks like a professional job I've had help since um, <laughs> so yeah so it was really it was really and so uh, when we went to, I'm finding it difficult like live and so I've been if I have to leave and go places then I will opt to get an Uber or something mm-hmm. um but then we we hung out, and then uh, I wasn't going to eat, so uh, then uh, we went to the underground, and I got the tube, and then I got on a bus, and I went up to my flat, and then I went to get, um, uh, what did I get from the off medicines? I got, like, some 7-Up uh, and some biscuits, <laughs> and then um, on my way around the corner to my flat, um, I walked up the road and it's quite a dark road and I got to about 10 feet outside my flat and I got my phone out to order some food um, because I didn't have any food in my flat and as I got my phone out I heard this bike so I was really tired because I'm not sleeping at the moment so I've been averaging between about 2 and 4 hours of sleep a night last night I got well, last night I got a bit more sleep, but um, yeah. So between two and four hours of sleep a night this whole year so far, and it's oh, it's chronic. I'm just so tired all the time, and um, I might have mentioned it last week, but it's just it hasn't it hasn't got any better, and I'm just so tired. You, if you are you coming in to tell me to keep it light, <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm I was finding all that really difficult, and then um, and I was really tired, and then uh, as I was walking down the road, I just heard this bike sort of come up behind me and slow like down. pedal bike pedal bike come up behind me and sort of slow down, and I was in between uh, a fence and um, a, a street light. And so it was sort of like a natural sort of like bottleneck where if there was a cyclist, they would slow down. And they just slowed down. They came up next to me. And I then became hyper aware that they were next to me. And then they sort of, it was really weird. They just sort of like reached over and then snatched my phone out of my hand and then uh, cycled off. And they were, um, I, they were wearing like a grey tracksuit and a hoodie and stuff. And it was like eleven o'clock at night. It wasn't even. It wasn't that late, like yeah. it wasn't that late. And then they. It's like quarter past eleven. If the insurance people are listening, and they whizzed off into the night, and I, <laughs> my instincts kicked in, and I just went, "You can't!" <laughs> <laughs> and it echoed all the way through this street. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, well, there might be yeah, kids." And it was literally ten feet outside. So they took my phone, and um, and had I either a eaten. <laughs> 
Well, B got an Uber home. That would not have happened. Mm. It was just because I was walking and I was hungry and I was tired. So if I was more hungry and said, we us go something to eat. Yeah. You wouldn't have had your It's phone. your fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it is my fault, though, because... I was wearing a grey hoodie and I went after <laughs> you on my bike and I've got your phone here. It's such a, it, it's such a pointless crime, is the yeah. thing. Because my phone was all smashed up and I was, gonna, I was thinking about replacing it or I don't know. But like the screen was all cracked and it's such a pointless crime because I don't know. Do you reckon how, that's why his hand went in slowly? Like, it didn't oh, it, actually. Oh, wow, I've committed to it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, like, what can they possibly get out of it? Other than maybe a couple of quid. Mm. But it's basically got... So my sister's just had a baby. And um, so I've got a niece. So I'm an actual uncle now. And um, Congratulations. Thank you. And um, and so I took a load of photos that day. I just met her that day on the did, Sunday. Yeah. So I took a load of photos and I, they hadn't been uploaded to the cloud yet. Oh, no. I was so about to say, I've it'll be on the cloud. So I've lost a load of photos of my niece, and then also it's got, like, loads of kind of, like, ideas for songs, and, you know, I use voice memos to write songs, and I use the notes to write shows and ideas for shows. And, mm. um, and I don't know how well it updates on the cloud. And I haven't got a phone. They haven't replaced a phone because um, my uh, building w- works on a thing where they dial your number on the on the ringer out the front of the thing and then it phones your phone and then you let them in using your, your, your mobile. Your handset. Oh, right, okay. So they can't <laughs> deliver a replacement phone because I don't know when <laughs> they're there and I and I don't have a phone to let them in and then they say, well, just uh, phone us up and let us know when is a good time to... And so, I can't phone you. I don't have a phone. <laughs> you know the whole thing where my phone got nicked? There's no... So I mean, just, it seems like quite a neat idea until your phone gets nicked. Everything. Quite nice to go. Oh, that's great! I just use my own phone to open the door. Get there. But, but everything's on your phone. It's uh, but as a crime, it's kind of so pointless because it's the equi- I mean, he didn't. Th- it wasn't like threatening. It, it was just kind mm. of like this thing where this cunt just comes along and takes this thing, and it's just like it's a ball ache. It would cost you. It costs a load of money to replace stuff. It costs a load mm. of stuff through insurance. And then on top of that, they've taken kind of all of your personal notes, obsessions, photos. And it's a little bit, I think it's kind of like a modern equivalent of coming in and just ransacking your house and stealing mm. all your, your photo albums. And it's kind of like, you're, what, you're, you've got nothing out of this. You've mm. got like three quid out of this, you know. If mm. you, you must have, I mean, they steal so many photos. Apparently, there's a lot of people um, at the moment that are getting their phones nicked. Um, it's just, it's just. It's, it's I think an, that's becoming a very common thing, isn't it? People getting. It's annoying and bikes. inconvenient. I'm annoyed as well because it happened to me about six years ago, but nowhere near my flat. And um, yeah, it's just fucking what you meant to do. Uh, so yeah, it's really yeah. Anyway, so I haven't had a phone all week. So the first day you don't have a phone and you're kind of like panicking. Do you? Are you constantly going? Oh, I'll just get my honestly. Yeah, like okay, like you're talking about something and you go, oh, just fact check. Oh, I can't. Or, uh, oh, just text that. Per- no, I can't. And uh, so, but the first day, it's kind of like it's you, you have like this paranoia and you're really stressed about it, and then that sort of like fades away. And I haven't had it for five days now, and I've been reading, and I've been <laughs> writing stuff, and you know, just having a phone is completely um, counterproductive to to you know getting on with your life. Sometimes I always wonder. That when you, when in that moment when someone nabs your phone and you instinctively call them a cunt, mm. 
whether in there, as they're riding away, they go, oh, that's a bit much. I don't know, I always wonder if in their head they actually react to that or whether it's so kind of... I imagine if you do it a lot, you probably get called a cunt a lot. I reckon you... you I think you would hope that there's a little sliver of them that for even if it's for yeah, a minute, goes, go, oh, I've picked the wrong choice here. I've picked oh. the wrong career. But, I, but they do it. That'd be a good thing to shout. You've picked the wrong career. <laughs> <laughs> Young man. I, it's nice that you're making so much lightness out of this. Um... But uh, it was, it's actually been very stressful. Of course it has. Of course it has. It's horrible. No, of course it is. Because, um, yeah. yeah, I would... Um, I'd imagine it's quite a... Uh, it would be the kind of thing I'd sort of struggle to get over and I'd, be, I'd feel like I was picked on or targeted. Well, because I haven't been leaving the flat, it's kind of like you all of a sudden justify going, this is what happens when you leave the flat. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, bad things happen when you leave the fucking flat. But um, but that's the, but I have been, um, <laughs> yeah, I've been getting the bus. I've been getting the, you know, I've been... Because you can't get an Uber now. I've worked out where all of uh, the uh, the buses go from at the bottom of my road, and I've been doing that, and I've been reading on the bus because it takes you fucking ages to get anywhere on the bus. Um, yeah, I've been reading. I found uh, Nick DeSemlian's uh, Wild and Crazy Guys. Yeah, I found the book that I, I started reading. I was zipping through it whenever he was a guest, like seven months ago, mm-hmm. and um, and then I lost it, and then I found it again, and now I'm zipping through it again. I'm reading like you know, fifty pages a time. Yeah, I love it. Oh wow, it's great being on the bus. <laughs> I'm a changed man. It's good. So you're not going to get another phone then, not bother. I'm getting a phone, but um, I, but um, I've learned that I'm actually a little bit more independent than I thought I was. So that's good. Um, so you know, thank you, mugger. <laughs> Wherever you are, maybe he's a listener. Maybe he's a listener. Maybe he's a fan. <laughs> maybe you can believe his fucking life. I think he's emailed. Um. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it is: is that um, whenever I've got some downtime and I'm kind of like. Um, Travelling somewhere or something, I will uh, update my film diary. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's not a thing that I've been doing. I've had to do it on my laptop, which is weird. It's weird doing it on your laptop. But so you feel like you're doing proper work? Like... No, 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 it never does. <laughs> it never does. It, in actual fact, I've seen so many films this year. I'm so ashamed of how many films I've seen. Me too. I, that's what I've done. How I actually many? feel, I think I'm on 28. Oh, fuck. Oh, good. You're, <laughs> I'm on 26. I thought I was a cunt. Fucking hell. <laughs> um, but it does make me go, what am I doing in my life? Well, it, it's public as well. Yeah, I know. I wrote on my thing uh, that, you know, I didn't... Uh, halfway through last year, I stopped doing it because I had an Edinburgh show to write and I didn't want there to be a visible record <laughs> of what I was doing aside from writing my show. <laughs> if my show was shit, there'd be, like, a place to go and go, oh... Yeah, you shouldn't have watched. You shouldn't have watched nine hundred films last year. Then, should you, Nick? But um, <laughs> but it was a masterpiece. Good, uh, yeah, yeah. And that would have been going, I'm, And I'm taking it back on the road in the spring. So uh, check are these out, check old out the places days. you've already been to? No, these are new places that I didn't. I didn't go to. Oh, know, that's good. My first. I think we went to about twenty eight dates the first time. And you always get people saying, "Can you come to Aberdeen?" And you go, I go. Oh, yeah. Or they go, um, oh, you come to Glasgow. And you go, I did. <laughs> I did. I did. I did do Glasgow. Um, so, I, I, yeah. But um, Glasgow is lovely. Um, so, yes, anyway, so uh, speaking of film diaries, what have you, uh, have you had an all right week? Were you all right before we get into films? Um, yeah, or, no. or, or, or stuff we're a fan of this week? Because it's, it's not a film show. It is a show about, what, oh, yeah. about, about being a fan of stuff. Yeah, it is. Just well, to say, recently, it's, it's been 
the first half has been us talking about films, and the second half has been talking to someone about food. <laughs> Being woefully out of our depth talking about <laughs> Spanish cuisine. But lovely, that was man. a brilliant guest. Good one. Lovely. If you haven't heard that, we, listen back. We're gonna, that was last week. We're going uh, to visit uh, uh, Tapas, Revolution. Tapas Revolution, aren't we? We talked about going bowling as well at one point. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm, I'm all ears, Natalie, when you when you organise that for us. Um, we're having a little food bar jolly. No, you're going to send us some dates and we're going to say when, which ones we could do. When Natalie says things in your ear like that, because mm. I don't hear what she says. It's only on your headphones. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. So to me, it's like a little bit. But do the listeners hear that? They have the same experience. I no. experience it like the listeners do. Yeah. The good. listeners don't hear what Natalie's saying to me. No. Just as well, really, because fucking hell, she's turning the air blue. Uh, <laughs> she's not really. And that's not, no. no. But you can on food, but <laughs> you can if you like. You can. Yeah. You can say whatever the frig you like. <laughs> yeah. Because it's frigged up beyond all recognition. Nah. So uh, I heard them use the word food bar in a thing that I watched recently what was it like a vietnam oh, thing i, I think of it like that to talk about. i spend so much of my time trying to remember something that i've seen somewhere and i don't you know fuck it so what have you what are you all right yeah you're good i'm good i think yeah, yeah. Uh, i bought your twinkie oh thank you i've never had a from twinkie. the uh, american shop across the road a hostess twinkie a hostess. but we call it the american shop across the road this is the same as the corner shop has sort of regenerated it was it's the shitty corner shop the next generation and now it does just american sweets do you know what they fucking do there? They do microwavable pop tarts. Oh, mm. if you can imagine such a thing. <laughs> yeah, no. Natalie's face is baffled beyond all recognition. A hostess Twinkie. I've never had a hostess Twinkie. It's a pretty really big I... Twinkie. That's a pretty big Twinkie. <laughs> uh, yeah, give it a go. Okay. It's a basically. It's a bit like. Well, it's not actually what I imagined it to be like. Is it orange? Yeah. Is, what's the, is that, what, what flavour is that? Talk. I'd say, I've got a mouth on a Twinkie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's like a fake orange flavour. Oh, yeah. Well, I think they're normally like white. white it's like a white buttercream or um, it's like white icing normally. Or, or cream icing. Um, so this is like an orange flavour, but normally think, they're different... Yeah, what I normally, th- what I thought they used to be like was I, before I'd had one, I thought they were like trifle sponges mm. with cream injected into them, but um, they're more like just a, s- a sponge cake finger. Do you buy them in this packet? Or do you get like eight or something? No, they, they come in these individual packets. Oh, really? Mm. They um, look like the kind of thing you'd get as like a pack of six or something. Yeah, I think that this is probably a not to be sold se- separately. Right, I see. I think. Yeah, it doesn't have any information. Very much in keeping with the spirit of the previous corner shop. And I imagine they're made with vegetable oil. Um, So what do you think? Disappointing? Do you know what? When I saw them, I went, it doesn't look appetising. Having, you know, been um, sold the Twinkie experience via movies. And when you see them, you go, that looks a bit grim. Mm. And eating it, it tastes not grim, but it's not like... uh, you know, it feels like the kind of thing that doesn't feel fresh. I'm sure it's not stale, but it's not like it's a, not fresh. It doesn't feel like you know. No, of course not. That's what you almost it's think. It's probably twenty years old. Yeah, 
it's not, but, it's, but it's not fresh. That's the whole point, isn't mm. it? It's like a sponge cake that keeps fresh. I think it's because it's made of vegetable oil mm. and it's got loads of preservatives in it. And, mm. you know, it's carcinogenic, if anything. <laughs> That's why I'm not eating one. You haven't? <laughs> you have the guinea pig. Yeah, don't need that. So, so is it all right? It's fine, yeah, but it's not. It's disappointing. Mm. Would have been better had you never tried it. Yeah, just would live with the um, the hope. Is it better to have ate a Twinkie and not enjoyed it, or to have never eaten a Twinkie at all? That's uh, very philosophical. Yeah. Probably, probably never to have had a one. N- a new spin on an old phrase. Right. So what have you... Fun fact, Pop-Tarts pop, pop mm-hmm. have microwave directions. It says to microwave them... For two, <laughs> for two seconds. <laughs> Why? 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 Delilah. There we are. So, uh, oh, here's a, here's a fact that I learned mm-hmm. recently. What happened to Al Capone? He got done for tax evasion. Yeah. And, and, and what happened to him after that? Oh, yeah. He went to prison for it, and I guess he died at some point. Mm. So Al Capone, if you, if, I, I watched a review of, uh, there's, a, there's a YouTube site that do, um, uh, that does, uh, they do, they analyse movies based on historical accuracy. Okay. And one of the films they did was The Untouchables, and they kept being obsessed with the fact that it's not historically accurate. But my point about The Untouchables is it's based on the TV series The Untouchables. Mm. So it's not meant to be historically accurate. It's meant to be a modern-day retelling of the TV series, very mm. much like The Fugitive was. Mm. You know, There was a TV series called The Untouchables about Elliot Ness, and they've adapted that to be a two-hour Kevin Costner film. Mm. Um, Brian De Palma, uh, yeah. 1986. the TV series uh, Mission Impossible, an adaptation oh, of that. Oh, you did do that as well. So, um, so uh, I think it's not like Braveheart, where they've taken... Brave, mm. <laughs> Braveheart and made it woefully inaccurate. They kind of like their starting point was a TV series about the adventures of Elliot Ness. So, yeah, it's not. I, I don't. I think you're allowed. To, you can of allow. Course, that. I think all films are allowed to be historically the, inaccurate. The thing about the thing about um, well, it's just that people believe the film as opposed to the history. People don't. Mm. And I think that it's quite it a dangerous. Over, I think yeah, it's yeah. quite a dangerous thing. But in this case, it was based on TV series, and in this thing, never, not once did they mention the TV series. And you just think that that is the key to it. Anyway, what happens? What happens in the movie The Untouchables is Al, this is a, an example of that. You know that we don't know the facts and the history, uh, and uh, and what we believe. It's the Mandela effect. What we believe are different things. But what happened with in the movie is that um, they can't get Al Capone uh, for doing all of his crimes, uh, but they end up getting him on a tax uh, uh, loophole, and uh, he hasn't paid his tax, so they arrest him, and he gets sent to prison. And he gets taken off the streets. And they don't get him for all of the murders and all of that stuff, but they get him for tax evasion and they make the, the, the city of Chicago a safer place. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. But in his, his, what actually happened was he went to prison, sure. Uh, he went to prison for eight years and then got out. And um, by that point, uh, uh, he had syphilis. He had syphilis, uh, I think, before he went to prison. And um, it sort of degenerates your brain. And um, uh, he ended up uh, regressing to sort of like almost a childhood state. And uh, he lived out his old 
age, surrounded by uh, his loved ones and his grandchildren in a mansion in Florida. Oh, right. So it's probably... He had quite a nice... He, w- he, had, he had eight years. He, he murdered a lot of people <laughs> and uh, did a lot of crimes. Also, I often wondered about that thing where they go, we've got him for tax evasion. You go, what's that? Like six months? What's <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> He had quite a nice life after he went to prison. And except for the syphilis. We got him for non-payment of TV licence. <laughs> Is it like that? I think kind of... Oh, uh, okay. He's got a 250-bid fine. <laughs> yeah, furious. Absolutely furious. <laughs> Absolutely furious. Um, I've done, we've done. But I thought that was, like, really, like... I, I, I didn't know. Oh, no, like, I didn't know. No, it's interesting. Very interesting. Po- I probably saw The Untouchables when I was about 10. So I've that had... feels like the kind of thing they'd do on QI, wouldn't they? Stephen Fry or Togsvig. Maybe. Like saying, uh, ah... Whatever happened to Al Capone? And someone would say tax evasion, they'd get buzzed, wouldn't they? That's what they do on QI. I don't think I've ever seen QI. That's what they do on it. That's what they do on it. Okay. Sure. They, I didn't um, want to say it when we had a guest. No. The, that's that story well known about Bob Hoskins <coughs> in Untouchables. Do you know that story? You know that. What happened? The one where, because they always wanted De Niro as Capone in The Untouchables. And. Um, but De Niro was sort of being funny and sort of agreeing, then pulling out and agreeing. And so they kind of did this thing, partly, I think, as a leverage move, but partly because they thought, we actually need to find someone to play this part. And their second choice was Bob Hoskins. So they approached Bob Hoskins and they asked him to do The Untouchables. And Bob Hoskins jumps at a chance and goes, oh, I'd love to do it. Bob Hoskins agrees. I think De Niro gets word of this. And actually, he was just sort of bluffing, I think trying to up his fee or something. And De Niro goes, no, 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 I'll do it. And then they've gone, I mean, we've, we've just asked Bob Hoskins to do it. And they, produce, they go to the producers and De Palma wants De Niro, but it's like everyone's very embarrassed in America. So they're all in Hollywood, the producers and everything, they're all going mad, going, we can't, we've just asked Hoskins to do it. He's agreed to do it. And he signed his contract. I don't know how we're going to get out of it. So they approach Bob Hoskins and they go, Bob, we've got, really going to apologise, but... What we'd like to do is, um, I'm afraid Robert De Niro has actually agreed to play the part we've already offered you. And uh, so it's not really any consolation. But what we'd like to do is pay you um, 60, uh, is it 60 or $600,000, whatever his fee was. He goes, we'd still like to pay you your fee. And I know that's no consolation, but we'd just like to pay you anyway and say thank you very much, just so... It's not embarrassing. And Bob Hoskins went, well, that's brilliant. <laughs> he goes, um, <laughs> he goes uh, and let me know in the future if there's any other films you don't want me to be in. <laughs> and, of course, he just over the moon. I think you have told me that. <laughs> but, um, yes, it's funny. Uh, but then um, the, he had the last laugh, didn't he? Because uh, Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy turned down Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> and he ended up doing it. I think Bob Hoskins would have been a good Al Capone, although... His American accent in Who Framed Roger Rabbit <laughs> is a bit ropey. But you know what? I remember when Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out and, and uh, going to see that and then seeing Bob Hoskins on Pennies from Heaven or something and going, he's English. And when I was a kid, how it totally fooled me. When I, you watch it now, it's just, it is kind of a... Well, all of the uh, extras are English as well. There's all people that you recognise. <laughs> Isn't Daniel Peacock in it? There's yeah. like people that you recognise off of British TV. I'll get go, that now. Have they filmed the entirety of Who Framed Roger Rabbit in England? You get that a lot in um, um, Little Shop of Horrors as well, where you yeah, just start yeah. recognising people off telly that just show up doing American accents. Uh, although you don't recognise Christopher Guest. 
mm. who comes in. Uh, Twinkies are only good for about 25 days. When Twinkies first came out, they had even less of a shelf life. This was due to the dairy products contained in them, giving them only a two-day shelf life on average. Wait, 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 wait. So what is that inside it if it's not dairy? <laughs> What's the cream? It's... it's <laughs> I don't know. I think it's just all sort of like vegetable oil and uh, preservatives and stuff. Uh, I mean, they're not, mm. they're famously not good for you. Just Among the artificial ingredients in Twinkies is cellulose gum. Okay, cool. We're half Twinkie an hour cream. into the show and we haven't talked about anything of any substance. That's fan club. That's Pop Tarts. That's, that's Twinkies. What have you, I mean, is it worth even. See, we've got two minutes of talking, then I've got to play a song, and then we've got to talk, do our fan mail. <laughs> do our fan mail. <laughs> well, we can we talk about all that we've seen. So, what, what, what did I've you see seen this week? I saw 1917. You saw 1917. Yeah. I saw it the other day. I saw it on your recommendation. And? I liked it, and I liked it a lot while I was watching it. Uh, but it, I don't think it stayed with me as well as it stayed with you. Uh, no, I don't think it's really stayed with me. <laughs> oh, OK. I think the experience, um, I mm. saw it last Saturday. I think the experience of watching it is a, like almost a one-in-a-lifetime thing. I think it's incredible. It's like one of the best. I think uh, in, uh, while still maintaining a respect for its subject matter, mm. which is uh, the fallen soldiers of World War I, um, I think it... It's like a theme park ride. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's to its credit and also to its detriment. I think it's like. I think the experience of watching it's great, and I think it really deserves things like Oscars, and it really does feel like a real achievement. Yeah. There's something about it that while I was watching it, it's all done as one or seemingly like one shot. One shot, yeah. Um, but there's something about the geography of it that doesn't work doesn't quite work and no. so when that when you realize that doesn't really make sense then you start thinking how faked it is it goes oh it's t- it can't you can't actually be watching a real thing it's, it's if you mapped it out mm. based on how far they'd walked it would be about two acres yeah uh, there's a uh, but the thing is, what's weird about it is it's done in one take mm. but it's not done in real time mm. so it's meant to be over the course of about eight hours yes but it's obviously a two-hour film, so they kind of. There's a bit when it's um, a mistake saying that at the beginning as well. I think there's a bit when they give him a lift somewhere, mm. and they drop him off, and they say, "We, we can't take you any further because the bridge is out." Mm. And he's like, "Oh bloody hell!" So you're on your own now. And then he walks ten feet, and he gets to the destination that they were driving him to, and you kind of go, "Well, what's the big deal?" If I'd yeah. got a lift, and they said, "I can't take you any further," yeah, and I was that far away from where I was going, I'd be more than happy. Yeah. Uh, five stars, Uber. Yeah. <laughs> I, wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a problem. So it's kind of there is stuff like that. Um, and I read another. And that that journey where they get in the thing, they uh, it's like they're meant to have traversed. They're, they're sort of the idea of time and space in it is a bit odd. And mm. they sort of they're meant to traverse some distance, and yet the time that's elapsed in real time while he is aboard that the back of that transporter is like. Um, Two minutes <laughs> screen time, yeah, unless it's going at like um, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, super yeah. speed. Yeah, but I think it, it, it's giving. Uh, it's an experience rather than I went. I read mm. one review where um, uh, they were basically saying that um, without the one shot, and I don't think it's a gimmick. I think that it makes the film. I think it's mm. the best film that's been made with that one take yeah. concept. You know. Um, uh, I, I didn't think it was perfect. I thought, um, 
But I've read, I read one review where they were basically saying that without the, and they didn't call it a gimmick, but without the gimmick of it being one take, the story falls apart. And it, it not falls apart, but it's a very slight story. Um, and without the one shot, um, uh, what do you call it, technique that they used to do it, um, it, ele- it elevates the material, mm. but the material isn't strong enough by itself. And fine, that's valid, but I don't. I think that they would have started with the one-shot thing. Yeah. And they would have developed the story around that because um, because the story is really slight and it is really mm. flimsy. And that's yeah, and not, I, think, I think that's not a problem. That's not the selling point of it. Mm. You know, I don't think the selling point of it is that it's a really complicated story. It is literally uh, two guys that have got to get from one place to another place mm. and they're travelling across country to get there. Mm. And that's the story. But the way that they do it is immersive. And I don't think that because the film is so engaging and, you're, and you feel like you're right there, I don't feel that you need a really complicated story in order no. to tell that story. In actual fact, I think a more complicated story would have felt more contrived yeah what i would say is there's a definite first half and a definite second half mm-hmm. and um this is very good for no spoilers isn't it so far i think so yeah there's a very there's a definite first half and second half and there were things that happened in the first half while i was watching it and i was thinking that is very restrained and i i admire the film for being mm. so restrained uh, it's literally, they make high drama and high tension out of two guys walking 20 feet across some mm. mud, right? And I, and I thought, I really admired the film for being so restrained and holding back. There's another bit that involves Blossom that I thought, in the first half, and I thought, well, that's, I'm glad they didn't do the thing that I thought that they were going to do. And, um, and then it gets to the second half of the film, and then uh, loads of CGI starts happening, and uh, it becomes, he becomes more like an avatar, where he's sort of like... Yeah. And then they do the thing with the Blossom that I was glad that they didn't do in the first half. And so I thought the first half was flawless, absolutely mm. incredible. And then the second half, they kind of do start doing the tricks that I admired in the first half that they didn't do Mm. and I also think that a lot I mean you've got these two central performances and then uh, every so often you have a um they basically bump into a megastar. Yeah, the, the, every so often, you know it's Mark Strong straight yeah. away. I laughed because as soon, so as, he, because as soon as he starts talking, you just like, yeah, fucking Mark Strong, of course he's in it. Um, uh, uh, so you have these sort of like superstars. They're all in the trailers as well. Mm. Um, I think that's an interesting idea because it's an immersive thing until you just occasionally bump into these I thought Colin, stars. I, Colin Firth starts it off and he's like this big Oscar winner and uh, it's always good seeing Colin Firth and I think you need someone with that gravitas to start the, to make mm. you feel like you're actually watching yeah. a proper film as well because yeah. they're not big stars, the leads. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> um, but as you go, who's Moriarty out of Sherlock and uh, Fleabag? Mm. Andrew Scott. And so when they bump into Andrew, Andrew Scott, uh, at first I was just like, well, he's doing his thing, isn't he? He's always like, and then... I think that he's maybe like the standout of all of the guests. I was going to say that. I, I, he's not an actor I particularly warm to in a lot of things. I thought he was, and I thought he was great. He's on that. screen for like three minutes and yeah, he's incredible. And, yeah. You really go away remembering him. And mm. he sums up everything that yeah, uh, everything that those people would have been going through in the trenches. Yeah. And you know? how frustrated <clears throat> he is at everything. It's the serious version of Blackadder Goes Forth, you yeah. know, where he's like... And, uh, yeah, I thought, he was, I thought he was incredible. And then there are some people... Um, who uh, detract from the film. 
and I'm sp- talking specifically <laughs> specifically about the last guy, um, where he's just basically chewing the scenery. And I think the thing is, you have these. <clears throat> I don't know how. I think the longest take was nine minutes. And so you've got these guys that are going through. The, and apparently, what they did was they got this uh, open stretch of land, uh, really flat, and they would. Uh, walk through how they were going to do it, the time, how long, and then they'd build the trenches. So they'd build it oh, to okay. order. So it wasn't like they built the trenches and then mapped it out. They mapped it out before they actually built anything, and then they kind of, um, and then they kind of uh, built everything around that. I think, it's, I think it's incredible. You're watching it from a technical level, it's yes, incredible. Yeah, absolutely, from absolutely. a tension level, it's incredible. From a dramatic level, it's incredible. From a special effects level, I think it's really great. Mm. There were some real gut-wrenching moments in it. And also, I came out of it being more interested in World War I uh, mm. than I was when I went into it. I didn't know anything about the film going into it, but then mm. this made me kind of like go, you know, not not that um, it just made me consider things a lot more, and I think that it is very... Um, it's also based around um, oh, fucking Sam Mendes. It's, uh, Sam Mendes, isn't it? Mm. It's based around stories that his uh, granddad had uh, told him that his great-granddad... So it's based around anecdotes. Mm. So stuff... Like the rat and yes, the plane yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. So the stuff like that happens throughout the film, where they're basically threading together anecdotes of stuff that he had been told. Yeah. Um, it's, it's also like quite. It's so because I <coughs> one of my routines of going seeing a film is I like to have a cup of coffee when I watch a film. I don't really have popcorn or anything. I like to have a cup of coffee, and it was one of those films that as a film starts, I've got a full cup of coffee, and the. First bit was so sort of horrific that I sort of the idea of drinking or putting food in my mouth while this was happening was just like repellent, and I was like, "Oh god, this is repellent! I just can't." Well, you work at Picture House, right? Mm. And you were saying that after screening, you didn't want to go and see it because after screenings, you were clearing up uh, cans of beer. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was, I thought it was like, "Oh, is it like a big blockbustery thing?" And it says like from the director of Skyfall mm. on it, and, I, and and it is an action film, but I do also think that it's kind of like a very serious, yeah, uh, yeah. sobering action film. Um, and, and that, they, that really surprised I me after it, I saw it. When I went to see it, there was big groups of lads and uh, everyone was eating popcorn and people were, like, rustling through bags mm. and stuff, like, eating all the way. And you go, and you go, hang on a minute, this isn't that. I went to see Bad Boys for Life. Uh, oh, yeah. On, was it Wednesday I went to see it? Went to see Bad Boys for Life this week. And fine, eat all the way through that. Of course, that. yeah. Uh, fine, talk all the way through that. Do whatever <laughs> you fucking like, you know what I mean? But with this film, it's just a different sort of I film. I don't know how you could have even, like, I mean, I really struggled getting through a cup of coffee like I was really like Whoa. and it was sort of like by the time it sort of calmed down a bit and I was having the odd tip you go oh it's cold now like just because it was so like that first bit was so kind of visceral and so like so you could almost like taste the kind of how horrible it is and you're going this is I can't really drink a Anything while I'm watching it. When it started, I had forgotten. I'd, I'd known, but I had. I didn't know anything about the film really. I, I turned around to my friend who I was with, and I said, you know, "Is this going to be good?" And she was just like, "Yeah, it's, it's going to be really good." Um, I was like, "Okay, fine." But then I'd sort of forgotten that it was going to be done in one shot. And mm. I'm, I always find those films really sort of like um, convenient. And uh, I don't. I have not seen a film that's done that way. That I don't think could have been done better. Yeah, maybe something like Russian Ark, mm. but that's more to do with um, cinematic masturbation, isn't it? Just like look what we can do. But with this, I felt like 
I felt like it absolutely added to the story. Yeah. It added to everything. And I think as an experience, while I, it's, I, th- I do think that it was one of the best cinematic mm. experiences I've ever had. It, I think that's it. I think that the, the issues I have with it are actually aren't, they're not actually issues and it's just a choice that's been made. But it is that idea of creating one shot and then having this thing of time passing not in real time. Mm. is quite an odd thing specifically that bit when they get off the transport and he goes onto the bridge and then stuff's firing at him if that was in real time the transport would go oh wait they would hear but are you thinking about that after you've seen it no no while it was happening it occurred to me because it feels very much like it's a film of like almost like vignettes that are put together and what should happen is in in a different film that wasn't trying to achieve this one shot thing you would have this sort of cut or edit to make it go, some time has passed in between. But they don't, you're not really allowed to have that here. So you have these moments like that where actually if it, if it was in real time, the, the sort of geography of it was these people here would be very close. They wouldn't be far away from this happening. And while this person had just dropped off, he's been attacked. And also from that sequence on, that bit at night felt a bit like, it felt almost like the end of a level of a computer game, like mm. level two. It has yeah. that sort of element to it. And the fact you're watching him like a character, you know, the, the, he's on screen every shot and the camera's always following him. There's moments like that in the more kind of overly dramatic bits where it stops being people having conversations that feels a bit like, oh, now I can see it's starting to feel kind of computery that the, you're following an action sequence of yeah. being shot at and... No, I agree. And there's also a moment where he blacks out, and at that point I was... This is almost the halfway point mm. where it splits the film. And at that point I was really disappointed because I was kind of like, oh, come on, you've done so well. Mm. You could do without this bit. But what I would say in terms of like the way that time works and geography works is it is like one of those totally immersive... Um, uh, Roller coaster, mm. like four dimensional roller coasters that you go on, where there's, they've got a Spider Man one at Universal where Spider Man uh, is jumping on. I think they changed it to Transformers, mm. though. But it's like a lot happens, and you go on a real adventure, and then you come back out in the, in the sunshine, and uh, the ride was seven minutes. You know, and you've done all of this stuff, but it's seven minutes. And I think it's just like that. You've just. Got I think on, so. I think it must which, be. He must be aware of this. He's made he's it. For, he's so, so it's not it. like it's not like he doesn't know that. I just think it's that sort of. There is something about the experience of it which feels a bit like oh, because when you buy into the idea of right, it's one shot. So then you automatically go, it's what it's it's, it's real, real time. time. Yeah, and, and the and, geography is that's there, and then you start thinking well, actually that doesn't really make sense if that's there. And they, that's, the, the, they they always do that when they ever. I watched Rope again that night, mm-hmm. and uh, that takes place over a dinner party where they murder a guy at the beginning, and they hide him uh, under a table or in a in a in a box, and then they lay it out for a dinner yes, party, yeah. and then it, it's all about um, the guests. Uh, slowly working out, or James Stewart slowly working out that there's been a murder, and and it's all done in real time. And then there's also a film, uh, Bruce Campbell film called Running Time, which uh, is about a guy that gets picked up out of prison, and then he's got to commit a crime within half uh, an hour and a half. And it's it's and it's always the key factor. And I always think that that's the most contrived thing about doing those one take films. And actually, I really enjoyed the fact that it was um, it was like a montage mm. of of this thing. It was kind of like. Um, <clears throat> A piece of all immersive theatre hmm. where you go in and they take you into a room and they say, oh, you've got to go into this an extra. And then you're being dragged around for like yeah. two hours. And then you come out in the street afterwards and you're going, oh, what the fuck was that about? It's not about 
Um, and it, there, there are moments of geography where I know, the one that was specific was the one when he gets off the truck and they say, we can't take you any further. Yeah. And he's literally right next to where he needed to go. Um, I was surprised by how easy that journey seemed to be once he got over no man's land. Um, so there were, there were kind of like moments like that, but I did, it didn't let it bother me. And I, no, and it I, think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think that is it, and it's something it's known about, and you are getting experience. And uh, and I'm not taking anything away from it, because it's a real... It feels like you're watching something that's a real kind of achievement. Of It's sort of... It's, it's, it's almost like things that, while you're watching it, go, oh, okay, all right. It's almost like you have to readjust your your expectations about what you're watching while you're watching it. Mm. But I think it's great. I think it's really well done. Lots of it, like, you start going, I don't know how they did that. And lots of bits like that, you know, you just sort of... So a one-word review in three th- after three? Three, uh, two, one. Amazing. 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 He says, uh, is this Alice Cooper? It's always Alice Cooper. Now. No, I don't know. It's just that sort of, it's very sort of, uh, I guess, a Beatles-esque Yeah, Alice but he Cooper. loved the Beatles. Uh, he still does. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that I was going to say about 1917 is mm-hmm. that, that I think the longest take was nine minutes. Yeah. And if you are the big name that's waiting at the end of that nine-minute cut, Mm. And you, it must be very... And I think because of the way they filmed it, they filmed lots of it, like, weeks apart, mm-hmm. you know. And so if you're kind of like um, Andrew Scott and you're waiting for your moment and you know that it's the end of a nine-minute take, you must be shitting yourself not to fuck that up, mm. you know. I think and, and they And they get there, and then it's kind of like some of them are so hammy. Some of the big actors mm. are so hammy. And some of them are kind of like... The only thing that distracts you is the fact that they're famous. Yeah. And they do a good job. Um, and I don't mind. I didn't mind that. I thought the one guy that was really hammy, and it was a bit of a shame, um, and I thought, do you know who would have been good? Alan Rickman would have been amazing at that. Yeah. Alan Rickman, this is a thought that I had, because I've been watching loads of uh, Basil Rathburn. Uh, I've been watching a few of those uh, this week. Uh, Sherlock Holmes. They've got them all on YouTube, but that's a bit... That's illegal, isn't it? Well, some of the ones that I've been watching are the ones that are in the public domain. I think there's four that are in the public domain. Um, So you can watch them to your heart's content. Four in the public domain? Yeah. I think those are the ones I watched then. I presume. It's the the woman in red and... Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Woman in green. Woman in green. And then there's one that's got red in it, I'm pretty sure. Um, Yeah, maybe. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) of the big weapon or the secret weapon. The secret weapon, yeah. These are the public domain ones. Yeah, right. So I've watched watched all of those. And I was watching that thinking, do you know who would have been a really good Sherlock Holmes? In that era? No, just uh, someone that should have played Sherlock Holmes on film was Alan Rickman. Both, he so, had the yeah. nose for it, and he would have been, and he had the voice. He would have been fucking incredible, and it's a shame, unless he did. But I don't think he did. I don't think he did. He would have been brilliant. It's funny, actually. Yeah, it's sort of, it's quite, he's quite an an interesting omission. I guess if they would have done nineties films, yeah, he would have. Who would, probably would, who have, would have been, have been a, a good um, Doctor Watson to uh, Alan Rickman, Sherlock Holmes in that era in mm. the nineties? Oh, that's a good question. I wish you'd told me this when the. Could have had to think about that. Bob Hoskins wouldn't have been bad. No, yeah, for Maybe someone well, old. someone yeah, someone his age you'd want, wouldn't you? So you'd kind of want uh, who would be who didn't already play him because you had Michael Caine and Ben Kingsley, didn't you? Mm. In a comedy, and I saw that Billy Wilder comedy, The Secret Life of Yeah Sherlock Holmes. Life of Sherlock Holmes. Which is not good film. Oh, it's great! It's I love not it. That great, really. I didn't on. like it. Christopher Lee's in it. Of course, you fucking love it, but it's not that great. <laughs> 
Yeah. Startlingly homophobic I think in, some way in places. It's, yes, yeah. I think it's. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I think it's flawed in a way because it's got that yeah. thing where again it's got lots of vignettes, but I really like them. The individual. Sure. I didn't. I, I, didn't, I didn't. I know you're not meant to warm to Sherlock Holmes, but I didn't warm to that guy. But um, yeah, I didn't love it. Uh, but it's weird that there was they didn't make so many Sherlock Holmes movies in the 70s and 80s. But what they did do was they did a load of comedies. So you had Peter Cook and Dudley Moore doing The Hand of the Baskervilles. You had The Secret Life of Billy Wilder yeah. doing The Secret Life of Sherlock Holmes. You had Without a Clue with Michael Caine. Yes. You had uh, Young Sherlock Holmes, yes. which was a Chris, Chris Columbus, Steven Spielberg yeah. version of... I mean, that's out of all of them, that's the best. I, that's a film I'd like to revisit, actually. Young Sherlock that. Holmes is fucking great. That was kind of like a, a bedtime film. Yeah, I used to see it a lot when I was a kid. I haven't seen it in years and years. In my adult life, it's a bedtime film, where you're kind <laughs> of like... Although it is nightmarish. It's reassuring. It's really nightmarish. But, um, but it, has, it has CGI in it. Was that one of the very early CGI, very, doesn't it? One of the first examples of a CGI character, mm. uh, I believe. Um, that's good. I think there was another Sherlock Holmes comedy that was made... Um, what might have been done in that era? Yeah, Peter Cook did leave more. Have I seen any others from that time? Can't remember off the top of my head. Can't remember off the top of my head. Damn it, you fucking idiot. But yeah, Alan Rickman. And I never thought about it, but then I was watching it and I was just thinking, oh, that's a shame. Um, but yeah. So uh, recently, so we saw Uncut Gems. Yes. Uh, I love Adam Sandler. Every time he does something that says, good as this mm-hmm. i can i'm not i'm not blind to it i do know i can tell the difference between a good adam sandler film and a bad <laughs> adam sandler film what's weird is a lot of his films are so have been so bad recently that when you go back and watch the older ones that were awful they're actually better by comparison like i rewatched little nicky and i thought actually this is fine compared to ridiculous <laughs> six this is fine um i do love adam Sandler. i like him as a personality yeah and i think that uh, because i like him it pushes a lot of the lower quality films through for mm-hmm. me but i always think that his heart's in the right place so when you watch something like uncut gems uh he is incredible in it it's a real performance as it's well it's a, not like it, it's not phoned in it's not built around him it's he, he really he apparently he stayed in character in between uh, mm. like off offset and but it is a real character it's, it's like a real like it's not adam sandler it's not doing a variant of himself um, it's a real new character it feels like yeah I mean he's he's a, he's a, do you know what he has got an audience for Adam Sandler films mm. that people watch the murder mystery is the biggest streamed film uh, that Netflix has ever had um, and there is an audience for him and he knows that audience mm. and when he's doing something else he's not even taking a risk he's just doing something else he's working with other people uh, and they kind of go right we've got this character for you Adam and I think I don't think it's out of his wheelhouse playing an annoying stressful character no you know but they they just go really dark with it and it doesn't feel anything like I think Punch Drunk Love feels a lot more like an Adam Sandler film it's an art house, yes, Adam yeah, Sandler yeah, film, yeah, yeah, for sure. than this. But I don't think that this is out of no. Well, it feels like it's, like it's like in this, it is like he's a character actor. It's also where you've got a character like that that is the lead in a film. But also, it's uh, it's the way it's directed and the um, and the music that they use and the and the way it's edited. And there is maybe an Adam Sandler, a more Adam Sandler audience friendly version of this film. Mm. But just the way it's been put together and the way it's been executed. Um, it, it feels like a, a fever dream, you know. The music, especially, and the way that they use like the colours and the gem, you know, the mm. way that they actually go in and out of the gem in the. It's just, it's incre- I just thought it was incredible. Uh, I loved it, loved it. 
I did. I thought it was absolutely terrific. We also both went to see Little Women. Yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we didn't talk about it last week. Uh, no, I was like, I, I, I had the same thing as you, where I really wanted to like it more than I liked it. So I texted you, didn't I, when I had a phone, and I said, uh, hey, Nat, I really want to go and see Little Women. Yeah. Do you want to go? And so we went. Do you remember that when you had a phone? Well, I remember back back in the back at the beginning, back in the early twenty twenty when I had a phone. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I was desperate to see it. I was so excited about seeing it. I saw. I went to see Cats, which is which is as bad as everyone says. But there were three films that were trailered for it, which was Emma, uh, David Copperfield, and uh, Little Women. And um, and I thought all three of them looked look good, um, but Little Women was really exciting. Went to see it. And, uh, it's not. It's nothing. It's not. It's not. It's not bad by any stretch of imagination. Bad. I think it's great. Yeah. But um, I, I think um, I didn't respond to it. I didn't have anything where I just felt like I'm really into it. I, I didn't ever, ever. Yeah. I went fully prepared to cry. Mm. Like wanting to. I yes, wanted yeah. to excise Christmas. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And um, I did. I was so. I was super sold on the concept of going in and being really like. Oh, yeah, I wanted to come out and say, I really, yeah. really loved it. And I was sort of... I, I didn't I didn't love it. But I think a lot of that is to do with... And I think Greta Gerwig's done an amazing... It's, it, they've redone that story so many times over the years. There's, like, silent versions and TV versions, and Catherine Hepburn and Winona Ryder and people in between have done it. You know, it's been done to death. So what she's done with what Greta Gerwig's done with it is she's kind of really updated it and it feels like a contemporary piece that is relevant and mm. worth telling but I think in some of the choices in, yeah, in the edit the way that she sort of like cuts between uh, them now and them then um, I found confusing and it distanced yeah. me I could I spent a lot of the time going hang on which time period are we in now because they don't change the girls that much in order no. to go so they go from about 13 to I guess late 20s or but they're all in their mid 20s yeah all so the they all when they're, when they're playing 13 it's like this is crazy <laughs> It's sort of, it feels like you're watching Blue Remembered Hills. It's like a Dennis Potter play. They're not doing. They're not. They're, they're not like transforming themselves. So, yeah, I just found that it took me up because I was always trying to work out where we were in the story. But I did like it. I did. Um, you haven't seen Jojo Rabbit? No. I saw Jojo Rabbit. I think there's some good bits, uh, but uh, I went into the film hating Hitler. Oh yeah. Like, I hate Hitler. Okay. I hate the Nazis. So you've already gone in with that. I hate fascism. Right. So it didn't really work on me in the way, because I felt like the whole point of the film was to convince me into hating Hitler, (laughs) and uh, and I already hated him going in, so it was lost on me, but I'm sure a lot of people might get something out of it if they go into it. Uh, It's quite popular at the minute. If they're on the fence. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's obviously it's like it's a film that's told through a child's eyes, and I do appreciate a lot of it. I did find the fact that the, everyone's accent sort of slipped in between. Are they uh, doing German accents? Some of the time, and some of the time they haven't bothered, and it's it's within like the same sentence, not even an edit in between. It's kind of like <laughs> uh, it, I, it, was, it was weird. Okay. Uh, and then I saw Bad Boys for Life this week. Um, yeah, I was on the second. What I'll, one thing I'll say about this, right? is that it's not directed by Michael Bay. Right. And I, I loved the original Bad Boys, although I haven't seen it in years. I haven't probably seen it yeah. in about 20 years. I'm going to watch them all, I think. I, I think I'm going to watch them all. I grew up with the first Bad Boys, and I really loved it. Mm. I hated Bad Boys too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this one, I was kind of like, I hope it's good. But um, 
uh, I've not really invested in it. Uh, what is weird about it? I know that Bad Boys Two is particularly nasty. It, like it takes real delight in fucking people up, and it's you know, uh, like there's corpses exploding on the motorway and rats fucking, and they play around with. Uh, uh, they go into a morgue, don't they? And there's a woman with uh, fake tits, and they play around with her tit. You know, it's it's, it's, it's really we- it's it's fucking weird. Um, <laughs> but in this mainstream kind of Will Smith movie, and this one, it's kind of like there are moments where it's kind of some grim, edgy humour. It's weird because you've got these two directors that aren't Michael Bay, but they're kind of like their their hands are tied where they're st- making part three of a Michael Bay oh. franchise. So it's kind of like Michael Bay light where they're trying to make a bike, where they're trying to make a Michael. They are not making their own version of it. They're not doing their own spin. Mm. It's kind of like they're mimicking Michael Bay to a point where it's kind of, um, yeah, it's, it, it was kind of, it wasn't a Michael Bay film, but it was trying to be a Michael Bay film. And, um, yeah, and I don't really think it was sort of extreme enough. And it felt like they were playing, paying lip service to a lot of that stuff. Although, it's interesting... Is it like a, a BG-13, 12A, or is no, it like I, a I think that, I think, 15, 18? But it feels like it's the sort of thing that Michael Bay doesn't even think about, you know? Mm. Oh, right, we'll just have a chase where all of these uh, dead bodies fall off the back of a truck and they explode on the freeway. And he hasn't really thought about it. It's just like, yeah, that's... The, and this feels, like, a little bit more calculated. Okay. But what they have done is they have aged them up and they're playing their age and it's about... And I think that in terms of films where they do that, it's not just them going, oh, God, we're old, but they're getting on with it, you know, where they're all, all my knees are... It's, like, it's a part of the storyline is about them growing up and getting older. So I thought that they handled that quite well. It's not a bad film, but um, also I went to see it in a huge screen... <coughs> Um, I went to see it in the super screen in uh, uh, Cineworld, mm-hmm. and I was on. The, it was packed. I think it was a press night, and I was on the second row, and I was way too close to work out what the fuck was going on for most of the film. <laughs> it was too close. So if you are going to go and see Bad Boys, I do. It is good, uh, but the action is so. Well, it's like a Michael Bay film. Um, the action is so intense and so edited uh, to within an inch of its life that if you're sat any closer than middle middle, then so sit in the middle, uh, in the middle row, or or further back. But like I think it has a big thing. I don't know why you would make a film like that because obviously everything's multiplexes and everything's huge. And or either why would you make a film like that where you can't tell what's going on uh, if you're sat too close to the screen? Or why would you sell tickets and build build the screens like that? <laughs> yeah. They're pointless seats. No one wants to sit right at the front for that sort of thing. It was, it was weird. I understand it when the screen is... T- when, did we, when we sit, went to see Uncut Gems at Prince Charles, oh, yeah. we were right at the back and the screen was like a... Yeah, you sort of realise, oh, it's not very it's big It's like screen, a tiny school projector screen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah... Um, yeah that's everything so you are, are you a bad boy for life, Nick? They not? say bad boys... Or Bad Boys for Life, or For Life. I'm guessing about 50 times in the film, and I don't remember them saying it that much in any no, of the other films. No. Yeah, it came up, and they sang the sure. song, but in this they're saying it all the way through. And also, the film starts with this car chase, which has got some of the weakest banter I have ever heard in any film whatsoever. There's a bit when uh, Martin, they're driving really fast, Will Smith's driving, and Martin Lawrence is in the passenger seat, and Martin Lawrence says, uh, slow down. And then... Uh, and then he goes, oh, hang on a minute, we're late. Speed up. And then Will Smith says, so what do you want me to do? You want me to speed up and slow down? 
And you go, fuck me, Jesus Christ, this is like the first thing you've said. And I've, I've seen other reviews where they're going, oh, my God, the banter is blistering. And you go, fuck me, it's, it's I mean, it's... Hey, Nick, slow down. <laughs> oh, wait, we've, we've got to get a guess. Actually, speed up. Hey, now, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to slow down and speed up? Play a song, Nick. It's fucking terrible. Um, no, it's good. I like, enjoyed it. <laughs> what am I playing? Uh, I'll wait Brothers. for you. Yes, please. And uh, we're back. Uh, we're back in the studio. Uh, everyone talking to your microphones, please. Hello. Hello. Oh, brilliant, yes. I've, I've done it. It's first, it. first week I've absolutely done it. <laughs> I've absolutely nailed it. And I drew attention to it, and now the slickness is gone. We're joined in the studio <laughs> now by uh, uh, film reviewer extraordinaire Kim Newman. Hello. Hello. And, uh, and, and novelist. And novelist. And other things as well. But uh, What would you describe? You'd, what would you, what, how would um, you describe it? It says novel? novelist and critic whenever I'm like uh, <laughs> sort of being quoted on things. So I'm, and I'm happy with that writer, I suppose. Although yeah. I do stuff that's n- like this that isn't writing. Yeah. But, but it all comes back to uh, sitting in, in front of a keyboard tapping away. I mean, that's, that's the, the main part of you know the work part of the work um but uh, yeah last time i was here somebody called me an influencer um, <laughs> and i didn't sue <laughs> yeah but but you yeah. do sort of have that role now don't you so you've kind of got this thing where i guess especially in sort of horror cinema yeah, or something, no, I, I, you have an influence yeah, I, on the people that I might go never, and see it i'd never thought of that before it was mentioned but i had to kind of plead it is kind of a fair cop without doing the kind of media that we associate yes, with yeah, influencers. Yeah, of course. yeah, I suppose I've been doing essentially that job all these years and not even taking the kickbacks and the graft. I know. And, and, yeah, you don't get the, the free the, gifts. All, all that kind of stuff that, that uh, <laughs> those Kim, people who, have been getting away with for years. I haven't even tried. Who are you wearing today, Kim? <laughs> <laughs> um... I think this jacket's a Gautier, actually. But, oh, there you go. But, but frankly, it's from uh, a second-hand shop, so it's like, doesn't still, really counts, count. still counts. Still counts. Still counts. Yeah. Still counts. <laughs> so um, I grew up uh, reading uh, your reviews in Empire magazine. Yeah. Oh well, I'm still sort of there. So yeah. <laughs> still uh, got me column. When did you When did you start writing for Empire? Empire number one. I was. I. I. I even remember the the great discussion about about the cover, where it was um, it was between uh, Dennis Quaid in Great Balls of Fire, and Michael Keaton in Batman, <laughs> and the editor said, "Who wants to see Mr. Mom in a mask?" And they went with Dennis Quaid and Winona wow. Ryder. Did they yeah. really? Yeah. Dennis Quaid playing famous paedophile <laughs> Jerry yeah. Lee. Yeah. They went with Jerry Lee Lewis over Batman. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, that meant that they got Dennis Quaid and Winona Ryder on the cover. Okay. Um, but, obviously, uh, in retrospect, that was not the right decision. Very short However... Oh, right. Very uh, which is apt because because uh, bats are short sighted yeah. as well, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, been method to so be thinking, um, you in the grand scheme of film criticism as well, yeah. mm-hmm. and you think of Empire. Empire was, I guess, sort of feels like that was the the first time I think of that kind of film media and film criticism of being kind of popular. 
Um, Is I that fair? So I, um, Barry McElhinney, the man who founded Empire, um, if you look at the very early issues of Empire, they're essentially Q for movies. That's the template. No, but I, and I then it like changed slowly, and it's evolved, and I think, I, I mean... Um, yeah, and here we are, thirty years on. Empire is still going, and, it, and it's changed in many ways. But it's still, I don't know, seventy-five percent what Barry, you know, it, presumably in twenty-five minutes, set out to emap with the publisher. Then what the magazine should be, and it's still essentially the same. I mean, there've been numerous redesigns and format changes, and and uh, yeah, it's it, the. Um, recent issues of, of you know like had features on Agnes Varda and Parasite or whatever it's sort of so it's not <coughs> just what the um, you know the stereotype of you know big popular blockbuster cinema oh, no, I don't, I don't mean that. a lot of other stuff but yeah uh, um, no but it was more hmm. mainstream it's more mainstream than uh, something like Cy- absolutely Cy- which well, I even, also work for yeah even uh, by having uh, a star rating do you know what I mean? Yeah, and actually, I hate star ratings. Yeah. Mm. If it was the one thing I could get rid of from film criticism, yeah. it's because it's one, it's all anybody wants to talk about. And they say, you know, I occasionally sort of get upbraided in the street by someone saying, yeah, you gave three stars to. And frankly, I didn't. Whoever did the layout does that. Mm. I mean, I advise on star ratings, but uh, at Empire, at least, they aren't completely decided by the reviewer um, yeah. other places probably do, do the right but they're still useless That's there it. are plenty mm. of three star movies that I would happily watch over of and course. over and yeah, over yeah, and yet it, and it's no point to, to uh, say oh this is a masterpiece on a level with I don't know Ozu or Citizen mm. Kane or whatever I'm still perfectly happy to sit and watch yeah, uh, yeah. the Vikings or something like that yeah, yeah. and I think that insisting on a grid of quality and also it has to do with how you feel at the moment isn't mm. it there are plenty of times that yeah you want to watch a certain level of things and and the other thing is a star rating is never going to convince somebody who fundamentally doesn't like a particular type of comedy yeah. or horror film or drama that they are going to enjoy it yeah. you can give the texas chainsaw massacre as many five star ratings as you want there are people who would never consider but watching that's not it. Saying mm. that and five I feel stars... the same about Richard Curtis movies. You know? <laughs> but that's not yeah. saying that um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre gets five stars and Forrest Gump gets five stars. If, yeah, you well, like, if you like good films, you'll like both of these films equally. Yeah, no, that's except saying... I, I would argue that Forrest Gump isn't a good film. But <laughs> I'm just thinking yeah. of uh, yeah. old <laughs> Empire reviews that gave uh, I'm things sure five that, stars. Yeah, did they? <laughs> oh, well, it's yeah. the same with comedy. Yeah. Uh, I've had loads of three-star reviews that read like fives. So you'd much rather does not have the stars and nah, imagine no, well that's just read the yeah. review read well, the that's, review. that's <laughs> why I always say is if you want to know what I feel read the review actually yeah. that's not yeah. the truth that's yeah. not true with comedy uh, I, would, I got a five star review in the Telegraph and loads mm. of people came to see me who had read the Telegraph and they hated me they walked out <laughs> right. and go, yeah because it's, because you didn't read the review yeah, it's not exactly. just saying that it's, it's not just saying it's a good film ever, it's a good show everyone will like it it's, a, it's you, you will hate it yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's important but I think uh, in those Empire days when I was so I'd be reading Empire I guess my, my thing would probably be from about 93 to about 98 mm-hmm. and then it was like that was sort of my period of reading it every month mm-hmm. But I think you were actually one of the writers that were really good at forming things I liked. So, or not, you were a critic in a way that was like, 
you would say things it wouldn't necessarily be I'd always agree mm. but based on what you would say about it would give me an impression of whether I would like it or not yeah that's actually is it much underappreciated that is sort of the job yeah. of that particular type of reviewing is to tell people who are going to like a film that they'll like it but also tell people who won't like it that yeah. they won't yeah yeah um and that's not the same as lay and and i think the the culture of debate about cinema has and indeed about everything has been so debased in recent years that you you know you say Something like, oh, I, you know, I, you know, I wasn't that keen on uh, Captain Marvel, and then suddenly it's like you've stabbed their mother. You know, yeah. it's yeah. like, no, I'm seriously, and I miss the days when we could have these long arguments about films mm. that didn't descend to ad hominem attacks or this weird thing that, um, yeah, certain kind of. Uh, forces have at the moment of, of doing things like trying to game the Rotten Tomatoes ratings as if there was a way of officially making a film you like good particularly because it's quite often films that people haven't seen people yet. get really upset about the Rotten Tomato oh, ratings yes. and they start yeah, and actually I, I, I know some of my stuff does get on Rotten Tomatoes but I won't link anything I have any power over I won't Linked to it, I, I again. I think that that's a terrible democratization. It's like everyone has yeah. everyone has an opinion for sure, but yeah. doesn't make that a fact. Yeah, but, and that's yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But I, yeah. I thought the way the Rotten Tomatoes worked was that everyone publishes their reviews, mm. and Rotten Tomatoes go around mm. and they suck up all of the reviews, mm. and then they kind of like go, "This is the average." Is that yeah, not how it that's works? That's kind of how it works. But people are starting to try and game it. Yeah, in terms uh, yeah. of in terms you of have the, things the like professional yeah. critics or the audiences, no, I, I I'm not entirely sure what the um, the criteria for being linked on Rotten Tomatoes are, but there have been instances recently where I suppose organised campaigns have tried for for instance to do down um, films with female leads. Yeah. Oh right, of course. Yeah, so I see. Yeah, um, those people. Or, to, for instance, I believe Hustlers recently. Yeah, a, a, a film with not just female leads, but uh, sort of female leads of different ethnicities, uh, was the, the hustling, target. hustling men, hustling men. Yeah, in strip clubs. That's right. <laughs> there was a hustling a, a perverts campaign, in strip clubs. A, a campaign to make that. Um, as it were, officially not as good a film as, as people thought oh, it was. That's so, and who, but the idea of the the fact that you can change a rating on the internet through uh, sort of slime manoeuvring or whatever that doesn't affect how people feel about exactly yes films. yeah in the in the long term I suppose there is a possibility it will it will affect people's access to films whether people are going to want to watch things and yeah the idea of, you know you know you go on your streaming service and before you decide to watch something there's already a little rating below it yes yeah. it's yeah. almost but like saying don't watch this can't people yeah. just uh I, can't people just watch a film make their own opinion of it and that's well, that that would be my approach <laughs> yeah <laughs> How, but the idea of once you've formed your opinion you then try and inflict that on the rest of the world yes you try it is almost like I don't know um, 
sports or something where what you want to decide is who won something mm. or who's the fastest or who's the best. And we can agree who the fastest runner in the world is at any given time yeah. because they've proved it, you know. Yeah. But we cannot agree what the best film out of the, uh, or the on, best. It's not even yeah. the best film. It's the best reviewed film. Yeah, mm. that's right. And that, yeah. that's kind of weird. It's, it's, but, it's, but in terms of like uh, critics having personalities, um, it's, it's sort of like I don't I don't tend to agree with anything that Peter Bradshaw says, but um, but uh, I still read him. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. so it's kind of. But like, then it gives you he, an idea. If he gives something you might... one star, I'll go. I'll probably enjoy that. Yeah, well, that's good. And if he gives something <laughs> five star, like Uncle Boone, me and yeah. his past lives, then I will. I will, yeah. I, I will watch it, and I will be absolutely frustrated the whole so, way through. Saying this big fan of cats, were you? Um, I mean, I, no, I hated cats. Um, I actually I, haven't seen cats. Oh, really? I, I, know, I, you know I know Peter wrote a, a, a vicious he wrote, review. He wrote, of it, yeah. he wrote, well, he wrote kind of like a poem, didn't he? Um, yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. With I would give his review. Three stars. Right, um, yeah, I, it, I, yeah. I like the idea, but it wasn't yeah, executed. Yeah. As well. But, you know, who's got that much time? He hated yeah. it. I would say Cats is not even the sort of film that you should bother watching just out of curiosity. If uh, yeah. uh, It's a lack of curiosity mm. that will kill Cats' box mm. office. When I was... That'll look great on a poster. Yes. But, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, it, but it's, uh, I, I watched it, and it is as bad as people say. Yeah. Uh, at some point, I will see it, but it was well. things. nobody paid me to see it. Have you seen the so, musical? No, I haven't, and I'm not a, a great Andrew Lloyd Webber fan. I think fan. If, if you like the musical, I think you'd be hard pressed to like the film anyway. What it, What is it that makes you want to see it now? Is it the curiosity? Of yeah, it? it is. But it's just a uh, yeah. I want no, to see all kinds of things. Just to to, to um, you know make the connections, fill in the box. Yeah, everything yeah. adds adds. Of together. course, I think that. And the, it's and a cultural the, touchstone yeah, as well. That's right. Yeah, um, and there are plenty of truly dreadful films that I've watched. Yeah, and and suffered through, and I'm never going to watch again. But that's part of the the job. And I also think that. Yeah, in fact, there was a point where I was sort of tempted to go and see Cats just to be part of the conversation. But Frank Hague was still talking about it, and I haven't seen Mm. it. And actually, I think one of the worst things you can do as a critic is talk about films you haven't seen. So I was watching a thing, and they were talking about the new Star Wars film, and 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 it's again with Rotten Tomatoes, and they were talking Mm. about how delighted they were that it didn't, and they were like saying the film doesn't make sense and it's rubbish. And then they got like uh, five minutes into this review, and then it emerged Mm. that they hadn't seen it, but they don't need to because they've seen enough clips online, and you just go. You, you've got no fucking opinion. You yeah, know, you're that's out right. of the conversation. Yeah. If you haven't yeah. even bothered to see the film, then why am I listening to yeah. you? And I always, I, many, many years ago, I was on an interview panel for a job of a film editor at uh, um, City Limits, which was a London listings mag- magazine. And I was lo- looking through the clips of the people who were applying for the job, and one of them had done that thing of writing a review and saying, I hated this so much, I walked out after 25 minutes. And I was thinking, the hell you did you're being paid to sit and do this mm. you know it's not coal mining the job of a critic is to watch this movie yeah. and then repeat you the least it. you can do the is stay to the credits <laughs> and, and what's more it was George Romero's Dawn of the Dead um, and, so, <laughs> oh, right. and so that guy I, I hope he's gone on to have uh, <laughs> a, 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 yeah, a, a fruitful and, and satisfying career in another branch of whatever <laughs> business he's in uh, but he did not get the job it works yeah. both ways though I've yeah. been to see I went to see a screen of a film I think it was John Wick uh, with someone 
who uh, didn't particularly like it and then ended up giving it a four-star review and made it onto the poster, I think. <laughs> and it's kind of like, but what happened? Yeah. What happened in the distance between... Yeah. It was at Warner Brothers, the screening was as well. It's I think of, there's various factors that could influence a oh, reviewer. Yeah. And that's, a lot of it might be to get further work as well, right? There's that sort of... I guess there's lots of I've, things that could... Yeah, I... It's 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 a difficult, particularly for a freelance. It is actually a difficult road. Oh, and to the, to the sense that, I mean, occasionally you have this thing where the editor has decided what they want the review to say, so they phone round all their freelancers to say, you know, do, do you like this? Because uh, they want to run a positive review or whatever. Um, I'm in a very fortunate position of being able to say no, uh, other people in the business aren't. Yeah. yeah. Um, or if you, that, want, if you I, want a long career, it's in right. your benefit to say, yeah, yeah I loved it. That's but right. Also, yeah. they gave away uh, a couple of free beers at that screening, so it would be ungrateful <laughs> to give it anything less oh, than a four. Yeah, but I mean, for, for years there used to be a, a saw in the in the the. the business that the better the hospitality was the worse the film was going to be you know um to, to the extent that in the the 1980s during the the heyday of sort of vhs rental the most lavish feasts were before truly dire movies um that that has kind of receded and you don't get you know the three course meals anymore and all that kind of stuff but you do but, get like yeah. set visits don't you yeah, but that's a different type. I mean, I don't. I don't do that stuff. I'm not I don't, saying you no, specifically, no, but that um, that's not quite the same as as reviewing access. And yeah, there is a certain sense of trade, but the quite often it's not even the same writers who do those. Mm. Uh, I, I find, yeah, I think I've done like three or four set visits over over like nearly 40 years of this it's not something I'm particularly interested in doing I don't do interviews either what were those uh, set visits I was on the sets of <laughs> let's see Hellraiser oh wow yeah what the first one yep yeah, yeah in Dollis Hill uh and uh, in the same vein Nightbreed right I was on, on the set of that that's Clive Parker as well yeah, right? yeah. uh Eat the Rich you remember so that? A the comic strip one. yeah and <laughs> The the other things that I visited sets of I wasn't even writing about it was weirdly I was on the set of a John Landis movie called The Stupids oh, which yeah. I've never actually watched. Oh, it's got <laughs> an amazing song in it called I Am My Own Grandpa. That's like the highlight oh, of the film. Yeah, but that's that's a, a novelty song, isn't it? It's a Doctor Demento track. So oh, I think, was it? Yeah, it's not original to the film. Well, why would you even put it in the film? Because <laughs> <laughs> the best bit of the film was stolen off of something else. Well, we weirdly. John Landis has really good taste in music. Not always good taste in music. But Tom Arnold movies. sings it. Yeah. It's like a five-minute bit of the film where Tom Arnold sings, I am my own grandma. I always thought that was from The Stupids. No. Well, I will tell you now, yeah. The Stupids is worthless. <laughs> yeah. Save yourself 90 uh, minutes. I was literally, I love John yeah. Landis, and, uh, yeah. and The Stupids was just like, hey, it's a bit of a dud, but yeah. it does have that one bit in its favour. Oh. I was also <laughs> on the set of Batman um, for a really weird thing that they... They needed one of those making of books written really quickly, and uh, I was up for the job. And I went down and sat and tried. And it was, it was reasonable enough, but it was one of those things. They weren't offering that much money, and in order to do it, I would have had to give up Christmas. Oh wow! Because it had to be written like in yeah. the three weeks of Christmas. I've got that book, and I actually, yeah, I can't remember who, who wrote it in the end, but I, th I thought after that, after the end of it, that. 
it's just not worth it. No. I would rather spend time with my family and friends. But did you oh. get to visit the... Uh, where was it filmed? Um, oh, I think it was Pinewood, is not it? Or yeah, was it Pinewood? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So did you get to... Because that set I, was huge. Oh, yeah, no, I saw the Gotham The Gotham set. set. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, no, I, that, it was an interesting visit, but I'm not sorry I didn't write the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably got what you wanted out of it anyway. Yeah, yeah. You got to yeah. see the big set, and yeah. you had a nice little... Uh, yeah. Well, I've done that. I don't need to write the book yeah. now. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, and uh, so at the time, I could have done with the money, but it, but it, it was actually... I remember my agent and I sort of chewing over this thing and saying, you know what? If you don't want to do it, just don't. But did you grow up really liking Batman? Yeah, I did. I'm I'm of the Adam West kind of Batman yeah. era. So For me, it was like the. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, sh- I'll show you how how sort of interested I was in in doing this. Um, uh, about that time, I, I, I um, co-edited this book called Ghastly Beyond Le- Belief with Neil Gaiman. And I borrowed all his Batman comics in, right. in order to research Batman. And I sort of spent a happy week reading all Neil's <laughs> old Batmans. And, and yeah, it's... As a... As a yeah, a, a, being a child in the 1960s meant that I lived through Beatlemania, Batmania, um, Doctor Who regenerating the first time, the Avengers when it was Diana Rigg, you know, Thunderbirds, all this kind of Sean Connery turning into yeah, Sean uh, George Lazenby, back to all, Sean Connery, back to Roger Moore. That weirdly is still current. All those things are yeah. still franchises. Yeah, yeah, They're all still kind of being true. And I think it's a, a kind of the ty- the demographic tyranny of the baby boom, but also it was a period of enormous creativity in all kinds of fields of popular culture. Mm. Yeah, music, TV, comics, film. I also know, think that what yeah. what we uh, saw as a child didn't change for that generation till about people younger than us no, all sorts saw yeah, the same films right. my, and all uh, sorts. My of nephew. Went through all the things that I loved in the sixties in the nineties. Yeah, know, they all came. It was sudden. Yeah, suddenly, like Doctor Who and Thunderbirds and Marvel comics were back. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. None uh, of it's really gone away. Yeah, and I. And it is that. I mean, what? Yeah, I suppose there is currently a, a sort of obsession with the nineteen eighties. Yeah, in that people are making sequels to The Shining and Top Gun and you know, Tron mm. uh, yeah, uh, Blade Runner all these things that were the big phenomena of the 80s going yeah bad boys yeah, yeah. It's, it's all this well, that's technically that's a 90s thing but it feels really 80s doesn't it in mm. its aesthetic well, the, yeah. the new yeah. one feels so I mean I, I think it, it's not a terrible film but the new one felt such like a pr- the way the Expendables films were sort of like they were uh, synthetic throwbacks yeah but mm. this just feels like it It didn't know any better mm. it's like it just feels so out of time mm. it's such a weird film it'll be interesting to see if the audience respond to it because basically if you asked anybody last year whether they wanted to see a Will Smith or a Martin Lawrence film you'd have got a what that guy from Gemini man and who <laughs> yeah as responses to yeah. Chris, Martin, like Lawrence, Martin Lawrence hasn't made yeah. a film since 2011 no. in yeah. Bad Boys I think he gets top billing doesn't he 
Bad Boys, Bad Boys is Will Smith. Bad okay. Boys Two is Martin Lawrence. Wow. Oh. And then Bad Boys Three is Will Smith. Do they take turns? I guess <laughs> yeah, they must yeah. be. If they make a fourth, <laughs> they're set, but, the, but half the film. Is, not I wonder if it was written film. into a contract yeah. in 1994. Because yeah, <laughs> um, when Bad Boys Two came out, no one could fucking believe that Martin Lawrence had top billing, and it was just like, <laughs> what? But, um, yeah. but but they are setting is, up a sequel. It, it, we are getting to the point where Will Smith is almost as obscure as Martin Lawrence. Well, he's had not yeah. had a, a string of. Absolute disasters mm. to Gemini Man's a fascinating one because that felt like a 90s movie well, with Will Smith playing a, y- it, a 90s yeah, version it, of himself. It had been in development <laughs> but the, but the point since that, he was young. But the point <laughs> that they were making was that because um, it had been in development since the 90s. Oh, wow, and okay. The, the, and mm. loads of people have been trying to make it. I think it was a Ridley Scott film at one point. But the thing that they were saying was like, Will Smith is famously one of those actors that hasn't aged. Right. Yeah. Yes, so yeah. why would you do a film about Will Smith coming face to face with a younger Will Smith? Two problems with that: Will Smith hasn't aged. <laughs> and the second problem is uh, that when they've de-aged him, he doesn't look like he does in the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah. Everyone knows what Will Smith looked like when he was that age. I find that yeah. problem when they de-age people in the Marvel movies that you've got you've got Michael Douglas and you go, but we all know what Michael Douglas looked yeah. like in the eighties, mm. and it wasn't like that. Mm. So it I, looks odd. Yeah, I just wondered: is this is this just a way of avoiding casting? Jaden Smith in anything, you know, <laughs> it's like there's now no need for him because they got a computer program that will, will give you young Will Smith, and you don't have to deal with Jaden Smith, you know. <laughs> Um, if it had been made in 1999, it probably still would have had Clive Owen as the villain as well. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. Now you said Gemini, and you mm-hmm. said Gemini, right? Yeah. Right. What are we saying now? I think I, I usually say Gemini, to be honest, but. Yeah. Mm. No, because they say Gemini, and I was, mm. and I was. They say Gemini in all the Apollo films. And, oh yes, and they I, do. And, and I, and I thought mm. that I've been saying it wrong all this time. No, I, no I, I, good question. Though no. we've yeah. we've flummoxed. Is yeah. it a, a transatlantic thing? It may be. Might be. Yeah. Okay. Good. Don't I just you have a big make pronunciation sure. <laughs> unit here at football? <laughs> yeah, yeah, do you yeah, should have. have. I have uh, a monthly zodiac meeting, and I didn't want to feel like a bloody book. Going back to what I was saying slightly about Empire magazine. That in that era, I remember thinking like you had people like Alexander Walker yeah. who would be quite sort of stuffy reviews, and it felt like Empire was the first time you'd see Maybe. people acknowledge yeah. things like yeah. sort of popular films in that way. Well, I, I, I mean, I worked solidly for ten years almost before Empire started. It, weird things like uh, the monthly film bulletin, which was later absorbed into Sight and Sound, or even let's say City Limits, Time Out, whatever. There were a whole bunch of critics. I th- was that more of the the younger generation? Yeah, I think so. But there was also a, a, a sense that I still, yeah, I, I hate to say, I, I still don't really take the national press seriously as critics. Uh, critics because the format's so limiting. Yeah, you've got whatever it is, 1,500 words a week on whatever is released. Sure. Are you talking no about, like, way- newspapers? Yeah. Oh, but yeah. they tailor their news stories for their yeah. audience. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's mm. kind of like... So yeah, and there, I mean, there's some really good writers on that. But I think that when people talk about the critics, that's who they tend to mean. And actually, I suppose, formally... Barry Norman, maybe. Yeah. Mm. Um, latterly, perhaps Mark Kermode. But the uh, in, in, the sort of... The, the, I suppose the thing is the point where Barry Norman was the default British film critic and he was basically your dad. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, do you want to know what rock and roll records your dad wants you to listen to? <laughs> no, but know, I but did. I used to take Barry Norman. I, 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 I watched him before school. Barry Norman was then. 
yeah. yeah. Um, but the thing is, Barry didn't like certain types of films. But he liked Naked Gun, and I always loved yeah. him for that. Oh, I was yeah. just like, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't like anything that I like, yeah. and he always went out of his way to say Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he liked Naked Gun, and I was yeah. just like, oh, that's fine. Yeah, I used to watch him before school. I used to tape it in the evening, watch yeah. it before school. Yeah, I used to watch I it every week. Him. I loved but, it. Yeah. But then you've got, but that's kind of like, you, you look at Barry Norman and Mark Kermode and Empire Magazine, and it's kind of like taking film criticism and making it into entertainment of its own, you know? Uh, yeah, um, which is not um, an unambiguously good thing. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. but, um. but what, um, who would you have read when you, did you have, like, when you were, before you were... Uh, oh, yeah, no, I read uh I read David Thompson's uh, biographical dictionary of the cinema being... And lots of people who wrote about horror films were... You know, David Perry, um, whose Heritage of Horror was a big book Yeah, we had that me. in our, our university library, yeah, and I had uh, it on constant loan, I think. Yeah, you know, William K. Everson. Uh, and lots of people who wrote about, you know, classic cinema. I mean, Grail Morris... Um, what's his name? Grail Marcus in Rock and Roll. Um, Danny Perry. Yeah, all all... People were sort of interested in things, and, I, and the thing I most learned, yeah, uh, and it's still my advice for um, people starting out in film criticism, is work on the prose. Learn to write so people are interested in what you're saying. Prose. It's not I- enough just uh, have interesting opinions. You have to be able to express them in a way people want to read it, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, and apart from you know, you know, deliver two word length and on time. Yeah, it's because that's the thing that that differentiates. Yeah, it's what makes people go back to things. It's probably why you like Peter Bradshaw because he's a good writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what they're saying. Sometimes you just want the 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 kind of the elegance of of the the writing. Sometimes, or, I think it's because I disagree yeah. with him so yeah. much that. It's good to have your mm. opinions challenged and to work out why you like something yeah. or why you don't mm. like something. Mm. Yeah. And th- there's another thing that, that I noticed quite early on, and I, I, it's that it's much easier to get noticed as a critic by hating things than it is by liking them. Oh, but that's the and same that's with a, everything. Yeah, and actually that's a problem. Yeah, and and there was a point where I realised I did not want to be the kind of person who went around telling people the films they like are shit. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's uh, and the and you'll notice the people who have taken that approach have not lasted in the business. One because everybody ends up hating them because how can you not? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. How can you? Yeah, if you are repeatedly done down by people, think oh that guy never gives us a shot. Or and if people go in with the pre-written jokes. Yeah, you know, do and everybody likes to quote, you know, the, the famous put downs of films or, or whatever. Very few people quote like the famous raves, yeah, you know, the, oh. the the um, the 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 quotes that made people want to go and see movies. But that's yeah, but that's the yeah. same. That's the same. I mean, I you get tweeted all the time, and um, and this is this is sort of like there's a roof to how creative you can be when you're saying something is good. Mm. But there is no sort of bottom to yeah. how creative yeah. you can be yeah. when you're destroying something, yeah. mm. and it's always it's always the negative stuff that sticks with you more than the good stuff. Um, it's awful. It's an awful. It's an <laughs> but awful I think one. that is. I think. <laughs> I think Edinburgh. There's that sort of Edinburgh festival reviewing of people being reviewed, or or me and Nick do perform comedy so we get reviewed in Edinburgh but often in Edinburgh as well the people that they put onto those things are students 
who haven't got a lot of experience of mm. writing. So yeah. to them, it's almost it's preferable that much rather write a bad review. Oh yeah, because it's yeah. like it's that's part of what they're mm. they're, they're almost primed to write bad mm. reviews. They don't really want to say something's good. Mm. It's easier for them to write a bad review. I don't know about that either. I just think that they've got a fairly narrow <laughs> experience of they know what they like. Mm. And if it fills within that small window of what they like, then it gets good review. And everything outside of that, yeah. if it's challenging in any way, then, you know. Also, you're at an, I mean, this is the thing, but, like, when you first start watching comedy, you think that the... You think it's a monologue. You think it's, yeah. you think it's off the top of people's heads. You think mm. it's just kind of like, oh, they've just come up and they're just chatting with the audience. And then it takes a while to work out that... Even when you do it, it takes a while to work out that it's actually been constructed. So I don't necessarily agree with that, Matt. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid. That's probably because you get better reviews than I do. <laughs> I, I do. Wonderful reviews. <laughs> As I call them, wallpaper. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so where did you go to school? Uh, I went to Dr. Morgan's Grammar School in Bridgewater in Somerset, which became Haygrove Comprehensive. Uh, Bridgewater College and the University of Sussex. And the University of Sussex. What's the university? Where's the University of Sussex? Sussex. Former, just outside Brighton. Just outside Brighton. Okay, cool. And uh, what did you? So, what did you study at the university? English. English. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I, I, one of the reasons I picked Sussex was that it was one of the few universities. This is like 1977 that had any kind of film courses. I mean, not a film degree, but I did a course in American cinema, and they showed a lot of films. So I did spend three years watching a lot of movies. But I'm actually glad that I didn't have the option of doing film studies. Mm-hmm. I feel that I am. Yeah, the better for somebody forcing me to read Samuel Richardson and, and James Joyce uh, and all of Shakespeare and all that kind of basic mm. uh, fundamental groundings in, in the, the works of English literature and various other um, bits and pieces. I mean, I, I, quite a lot of uh, my writing is still very informed by stuff that I studied at university. Mine too, mm-hmm. and I didn't yeah. study much. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a, bit, yeah. a real shame. Yeah. It could have been great. Yeah. Um, were you interested in films when you were at university? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was um, yeah, in the film society, and, all, I, and I even learned how to project films. Yeah, and I programmed whole streams of things. Have you been to the BFI recently? Uh, yeah, I was there they've this got, week. They've got yeah, that yeah. in the lobby outside yeah. the big uh, film theatre one. Yeah. They've got yeah. the old projector. Yeah. But, but, yeah. They, but there's a plaque on it that says they're basically still using them. Yeah. I mean, um, there are lots of things. I mean, I, the thing I was at this week, they showed a couple of films on 35. So, it's, yeah. it's huge. so they do 35 yeah. and 70. You yeah. should see it. It's this huge projector. Yeah. I, it's I, beautiful. I learned how to use a 16mm projector, which is yeah. different, but there are all kinds of other stuff you have to... I'm like being I'm in so, love with the technology yeah, as I'm, well. I'm not particularly in love with the technology, but I have to say, learning how to project a film changes your relationship to movies. Right. Um, there's a thing I remember having this this conversation with, uh, with, where somebody said, "So how do you know when to change the reels?" Uh, and I said, well, I can tell you, but you'll never be able to watch a film without seeing a real change ever again. And, it, and now people know what cigarette burns are. Because mm. it's a fight club. Yeah. Before, they were completely invisible. Yeah. Uh, and you would just think it yeah. was like a, a hair yeah, or a... Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Oh. But when you tell somebody about them, then suddenly every film they see... I mean, in fact, I, I doubt if a film has had cigarette burns in it 
<laughs> since Fight Club. Yeah, uh, I remember. I remember finding that out. And again, yeah, you, you'll never stop doing it again. Yeah. And you notice when real changes are, which used to be a big thing that editors would have to put a fade or something there because the prints would get a bit clipped at real changes. Mm. And so you, if you put it in a, a cut in a dramatic scene, you could lose a couple of frames or a couple of words and it right. would like, really be really noticeable. But if you put it in a fade between two scenes, then it, it yeah, um, yeah, it, it flows much more smoothly. It's funny, but, but the, yeah. I don't know, I was just going to say, the more you learn about films, the more you'll never watch a film the same way again. I remember it like, takes a while yeah. to, un, to yeah, um, train yeah. yourself to I mean, unlearn it. Talking about uh, yeah, 1917 this week, when do people first notice that films are edited, that there are such things as, as that's, That was the example I was going to give at university. I remember like doing a thing where sort of learning about stuff and just like, just watch this film for a minute. And just in your head say, cut every time yeah. there's an edit. And now, again, I've never watched films the same way again. Because yeah. people... But yeah, you watch loads of films. Yeah. That must have been awful. And, yeah. <laughs> and you spent more of your life being tormented by watching films yeah. than you enjoyed them. <laughs> Another book that was a big influence, I remember, is, is a book by a guy called James Monaco called How to Read a Film, which says that film is a language that you have to learn the way you have to learn any other language. But but you learn it invisibly. You don't consciously... You sort of remember learning your ABCs and learning mm. to read. But people don't remember how they learn to interpret films. I mean, in the, in the history of cinema, there were points where people... Um, yeah, they didn't know, realize whether audiences would, would put up with close-ups or edits or a music score, which seemed to come from nowhere. All these kind of things were tested before they were used, and there were people saying, "No, no one, will, no one will put up with that." Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, even simple things like two shots and reverses. Yeah, you can't see a conversation from two different mm. sides. Yeah, that's completely unnatural. And yet now, we have, I always wonder whether before cinema, people dreamed in black and white the mm. way they, the, during the heyday of black and white cinema, people's dreams were in black and white. Mm. Um, because the idea of the moving image being in black and white means that, I mean, we now think of the past in black and white, but before cinema, it wasn't. Yeah. There and I think no my concept. dreams are probably, yeah. I'm watching a film. Oh, yeah. No. More than I'm watching this yeah, sort I of have that point of view. My dreams are all in single takes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well yeah. I, Very clever. But I wonder, is that because films genuinely are like dreams, which is something people say, or is that because we watch so many films that that's, tra mm. that's trained us? There's dream a parallel like yeah. art form. Yeah. Like there's a book, Understanding mm. Comics, got my cloud book. Yeah, and that, that does a, yeah, yeah. and that basically tells you how to read comics. Mm. But when I read it, having read comics since I was a kid, yeah. I just kept finding you almost want to scream and go, "No, I know, I know." But yeah, actually, know. It, it lays it out very yeah, clearly and saying, "This is what is happening when you're reading something." Yeah, so I, it's saying something in between panels. Mm time has taken yeah. place something has taken place between a panel and a comic and it's sort of very obvious but it's actually interesting like it's not really telling you things you don't mm. know but you know them Which on a subconscious yeah, level i guess I, I wrote some comics recently and i had to look at that book because there are all these kind of things like yeah make sure something interesting is happening in the panel before you turn over the page mm. you know <laughs> well, that's um if you look at tintin yeah. That's yeah. what they are, because they were originally published in two pages. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. each, every two pages, there's a... Oh, sorry. Every two pages, there's a 
there's almost like a little cliffhanger that you wouldn't really notice and it's what makes Tintin such a good mm. and interesting read because you just have this thing where every other page there's a cliffhanger yeah you can move it <laughs> thank you very much actually you can't but you know. oh, right. <laughs> um, go on Tintin yes uh, Natalie was telling me yeah. about microphones Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So that was that I was. Wasn't, yeah. I wasn't in the room at that point. Yeah, and it's it <laughs> also the the weird thing that if people are going to have a conversation, they have to stand in the order you read it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is again, there's no way in real life that would work. It's, it doesn't make any sense in the stage or, or in the, on yeah, the cinema. Course. But in comics, there is no way of doing it that doesn't involve that. Yeah, the, the reading from left to right. The person who speaks first stands on the left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like Ant and Deck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's what. So going on to things, so you've written comics. You, yeah. you, was it, it was something in? It was the the Mike Mignola verse. Yeah, right? I wrote. I think. Well, I co-wrote a thing called Witchfinder, um, Mysteries of Unland, which is just out in a really nice spanking new hardback edition with two other um, series. That's, ne- that's never available in shops now. Is it, it is absolutely. Well, uh, but also, I <laughs> I, uh, I wrote uh, a comic um, in my. Uh, novel series, the Anna Dracula books, which is out from Titan. That's called Seven Days in Mayhem. Is that um, Anna Dracula 1999 Daikaiju? That's uh, also, that's my latest novel. That is currently out, again, from uh, the lovely people at Titan Books. And as they say, it's in all good bookshops now, and most of the bad ones as well, I hope. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, so that Anna Dracula, that's... The premise is Dracula... Basically, if Dracula won, isn't that's that? That's right. That, yeah, it's it's a... Uh, my original thought was to do like a Nazis won the war story, but in which Dracula won the war. Uh, and I, I think I was saying earlier about how quite a lot of my work goes back to what I studied at university. I did this course at university about um, late Victorian fantastic literature, uh, and, I, and I wrote an, uh, this thesis which was about invasion narratives things like war of the worlds and the battle of dorking and in a footnote i had this thing where i said well the first half of dracula is an invasion narrative because he talks about being a conqueror and then the story goes and does something else um but i sort of filed away that for for over 10 years and then did a book uh, which was essentially that where dracula takes over britain uh, and i'm now on the the sixth novel, seventh if we count the comic. Um, we, I admit they've they've all been published over quite a long period, and it's set in nineteen ninety nine. Well, yes, they're all set in different periods. It, the the first one is obviously set in eighteen eighty eight, um, and subsequent ones. There's one set in World War One. There's one set in nineteen fifty nine. And in order to write one of these books, I need enough di- sort of distance from the period for the period and the, the setting itself to have a kind of mystique. And suddenly, 20 years on, 1999, it's kind of this sort of cyberpunk that didn't happen moment, isn't it? The, the millennium bug or the millennium evening. Um, and I wanted to write. And, and, and previous books have, have been, yeah, serial killer stories or Victorian mysteries uh, and this is my attempt to do basically actually a 1980s action movie it's Die Hard in a big building shaped like Godzilla um, <laughs> uh, with, with vampires Do you worry about um, critics uh, and their reaction to your work? No not at all I 
because I've done this professionally for so, for so long, I've worked both sides of the, the street. Um, it's like I've learned to uh, appreciate you know, criticism for what, it, for what it is. I, On the whole, I've been quite well-reviewed. Yeah. Um, so I don't particularly have any sense that you know the knives are out for me because I've been mean about people in the past. Sure. Um, but no, I, I think if you're going to do any kind of creative work, you have to be able to to live with it. Yeah, live with whatever people say, which is odd because now there's a whole generation of creators who can't. Yeah. Yeah. The the I always I. I see people like answering back every person on Twitter, yeah, and you think that think. you can go down a rabbit hole there, isn't it? Yeah, I uh, think that is different though, because um, because you can avoid a publication. You know, you can mm. avoid uh, reading Empire or Premiere, or yeah. you know. But what you can't do, uh, but but oh yeah, when but, people at but, you, but, yeah. But what Twitter yeah. has basically done has meant that if you do anything creative that is released publicly, mm. uh, it makes it another part of your life that you can't really participate in. Yeah. You can't mm. go on you can't go on Twitter because everyone hates you. <laughs> right? What a wonderful thing it was, the idea yeah. of it. When it, the idea yeah. is you sort of for the first time ever people have yeah. access to kind yeah. of almost have conversations with people yeah. that they'll never meet that they might admire yeah. for any reason yeah. and just how easily they ruined it within like yeah. oh, it's like no, oh no. you just ruined it yeah. what a great thing that was no yeah. one's ever had that before yeah, you man. can literally talk to like people you admire yeah. that might respond they might read yeah. it they might say hello or say yeah that's incredible isn't I, it yeah. I, I, I find it really hard not to respond to direct questions oh I, 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 but, I think it's a really nice it's a really yeah. nice place yeah. where people can ask you questions and you respond to questions and I I think it's a community mm. and it gives people access to you. You can tell people about what, what you've got coming mm-hmm. up and all this other stuff. I think it's great for a, some of the time. And then every so often you'll switch on and you've got 50 people all calling you a cunt. And then you realise, <laughs> oh, they've just re- they've just repeated live at the Apollo one day. So it's a bit it's a minefield. So it can be lovely. But yeah. on the other side, it's such but, a great idea. Yeah, I, I no. emailed yeah. when I was at university. I emailed uh, Bruce Campbell, and uh, so this is 1999, and he used to have an email thing on his uh, website, and he got back to me maybe seven months later. But he got back to me, <laughs> yeah. and it was like a one-word response. Yeah. But I had an email off Bruce Campbell, and it, was, it uh, made yeah. my day. Um, it never at any point occurred to me that I could uh, call him a cunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. that's right. Yeah, so yeah. it's probably occurred to him the man with the screaming yeah. brain was shit. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's right. It is. A, there is a sense that yeah, there used to be this phrase: everyone's a critic. Yeah, and of course now everybody is. Everyone's but got you an know opinion. What? They're not. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're, everybody is now. Their imaginary well, I idea think we're of what proof that, is. We know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not everyone is a critic. Well, I don't yeah. think. I, I like talking. That's all this show is. It's it, basically all this show is <laughs> is me and Nick talking about films and then regurgitating facts about that film mm. that we read in Empire twenty five years ago. <laughs> yeah. but, but now, oh, but now yeah. that, that information is lost to the ages. So you go, you know, when that made this, that's a weird thing. Like well, just I, being. I still remember um, uh, review snippets from uh, film reviews that I read. I yeah. remember. I remember. Uh, a, a film quote, a review quote from The Lost World from Empire from 1997. <laughs> Let's just start in my head. There's two things that you have to remember about The Lost, Ro- Lost World. There's glass and grass. 
And you go, all oh, right, yeah, it's very good. But it's always in my head. You know, it's not always in my head. And I hate that film as well. So it's kind of a weird one to carry around with you. Um, but yeah, we went to, me and Nat did a screening the other week, uh, and, uh, and you were at it. And right. you were instantly recognisable. And we, uh, we said hi. Well, <laughs> yeah. we looked, we were like, oh, Kim Newman's here. We thought, right, we're in the big leagues now. <laughs> so we better pull our socks up and have the best opinions what was it? we can. Uh, not, um, well, it was, I this was a while ago, right? It doesn't right? matter. It doesn't matter. I'll tell you after. <laughs> not, no, it, was not, it, was not, it was not a great film. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, we should probably get around to playing yeah. the, the game. Well, this is the game, and I've just realised this game goes against everything I've just been saying, because in oh, this game it's called Better or Worse, oh, where you have to say whether the next person is better or worse than the person before it, based entirely on my own opinion. If anything, this gives an right, idea yeah. of why, why criticism and people's opinion doesn't actually yeah. mean anything. Okay. So beginning with Wesley Snipes. That's your first starter. Yeah. Tilda Swinton, better or worse than Wesley Snipes, based entirely on my own opinion. Uh, Tilda. Correct. Tilda Swinton better yeah. than Wesley Snipes? Yeah. Fine. It's a, they're both high cards. They are high cards. Yeah. Ronnie Corbett, better or worse than Tilda Swinton? Yeah, better. I might say worse. Whoa, Ronnie Corbett worse than Tilda Swinton. She's not done as much for a start. Well, Ronnie Barker better or worse than Ronnie Corbett? Better. Yeah, better. Better. Mm-hmm. Tony Curtis better or worse than Ronnie Barker? Worse. Better on his good days, mm. uh, but there weren't. That many of them over his career. <laughs> oh, Kim, sorry, this isn't about your opinion. This is about whether it's Nat's opinion. Well, it's or interesting. Not. It's yeah. always interesting. <laughs> yeah, well. I'm going to say worse. Worse. Um, Tony Shaloub from Monk. Better or worse than Tony Curtis? Better. I was going to say worse. All right, yeah. Tony Collette. Oh, come on, Galaxy, Galaxy Quest. He was in Galaxy Quest. He was great in Galaxy yeah. Quest. Yeah. So what are we saying? That Tony Shalhoub is better I'm or saying he's worse. worse. I'm saying he's worse. It's worse my opinion. It's my opinion. <laughs> That's how you score points. I don't know. Tony Collette, better or worse than Tony Shalhoub? Better. 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 Tony Basil, better or worse than Tony Collette? I don't know who Tony Basil is. Hey, Mickey. Hey, Mickey Head. what? Yeah. Uh... Uh, hey, Mickey, sorry, hey Mickey, you're so Tony fine. Tony Basil saying, yeah. hey, hey Mickey, you're yeah. so fine. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Better or worse than Tony Collette? Well, worse. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> Basil Rathbone, better or worse better. than Tony Basil? Oh, better. better. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Willis, better or worse than Basil Rathbone? Worse. 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 Bruce Dern, better or worse than Bruce Willis? Better. Better. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, yeah. Seven. <laughs> Bruce Dern never had a diehard, though, did he? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. To be and fair, Bruce Willis. Let's fair, to be fair, he, uh, he's got five of them, each better than the last. <laughs> yeah, I know. But Bruce Stern from the uh, early early seventies, uh, King of Marvin Gardens, Smile. Yeah, he was in Silent absolutely Running. unbeatable. Yeah. yeah, was he in Silent yeah. Running? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and also his most famous production, Laura, Laura. Dern. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Laura Dern. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Um, you can see both of the of her parents in the Wild Angels. Because <laughs> yeah. Diane Ladd's in that as well. I think they met on it. Was <laughs> Diane Ladd Laura Dern's mum? Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Well, I've learned one thing today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what's the best film that you've seen this year so far? Ooh, I haven't actually seen that many films this year. So I've seen twenty six, uh, <laughs> and he's seen twenty eight. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've probably seen. 
that number of films, but not all. Uh, as it, as it were in um, in cinemas, most of it is like watching really old stuff on. Uh, oh yeah, TV, that's what so. I count. That's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. No, I was coming <laughs> to America all the way through for the first time last night, yeah, this yeah. morning. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Two stars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, d- I didn't care for it then. I, just, oh. I didn't think it was funny. I, d- I, yeah. didn't, I don't know why. It's John Landis and Eddie Murphy. Yeah, it's like Eddie Murphy in blackface, uh, isn't it? Which is like really uh, weird. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. Do you know what it is, though? Well, it's one of the ways that I appreciated it was that it was a huge, big budget 1980s romantic comedy that has a, a mainly black cast. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And that yeah. is actually unheard of, really. Mm, yeah. The yeah. fact that it was that big a budget, that big a deal. And it, w- it doesn't feel like a classic Eddie Murphy film, but if you look at it in the context, that it was a romantic comedy with a black cast mm-hmm. then it was kind of like oh well it did its job it's amazing uh, if you look at it for that but I just didn't think it was funny sorry <laughs> anyway uh, thank you Kim for coming in thank you for oh, coming in uh, so your book Anna Dracula 1999 Die Kaiju is yep. out now out now yep and you've got another series of Secrets of Cinema coming yep. out but you haven't got a release date uh, yeah no uh, air dates yet but we've um, we have three episodes in the can uh, due to air and I can not quite exclusively reveal <laughs> that the subjects are superheroes, spies, and British history. Wonderful. Kings and queens. Yeah. Uh, thanks very much. It's really lovely to have you well, in. And as I say, uh, I've been a big fan of yours for a very long time. Um, so, yeah, we're going to play out with your song of choice, which is? Yeah. It's The Monster Mash, the cover version by the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band. Uh, Neil Innes died recently, and he was a big, big, big influence on me. In fact, the whole... And this particular track synthesizes all the things I was interested in in the 60s that I am now still interested <laughs> in. Yeah. There we go then. Thank you very much and welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. You've been listening to a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com.